You're listening to the Upper Room Frisco podcast. To learn more about UR Frisco, please visit upperroomfrisco.com. Tonight, I'm picking up where I left off about two weeks ago. How many of you were here two weeks ago when I talked about what it meant to be filled with the Spirit? Okay, so it was about half the room, a little bit more than half the room. Wow, I'm actually getting some regular attendance in this place. That's good news right there. So I can build on information. Uh, I was a mathematics teacher for like five years, so it was super important to get the foundations right and actually build upon that information. So, uh, And as that kind of teacher, I want to do the same thing with theology and scripture. I want to build on your knowledge. Um, but I want to do two things tonight. I want to dismantle stuff that we've sort of known and been taught, and I want to rebuild and, and, and give you guys a vision for something much greater. Um, the thing I want to re- I want to sort of tear down is sort of this thought pattern we have of what it means to be really spiritual, to be a really super Christian kind of thing. Um, two weeks ago, I preached about what it means to be meant to be filled with the Spirit, and I, I challenged you with a new definition for that. And the definition I'm just going to state it plainly right now uh, is a temporary empowerment. That's a repeatable temporary empowerment um, to give a prophetic declaration toward to Jesus. Or, or about Jesus, oftentimes, not all the time, but oftentimes in the face of, of a hostile audience. Now, let me say it again. It's a temporary empowerment that's repeatable to give prophetic declaration about Jesus, often in the face of a hostile audience. You're hearing me on this, okay? Most of us have been taught, now how many of you are, are, are spirit-filled? Now, we'd say that. Most of us would say that, right? And if, if this is a spirit-filled church, what does it say about all the other churches out there? They're the not-so-spirit-filled? They're the spiritual less-thans? That they're the spiritual mutts of the church? Is that, what we, we, we wanna, is that the kind of uh, reputation we want to have uh, when it comes to talking about other churches? Here's, here's a question for you. How many churches are in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex? Wrong. There is one church. Hear me on this? Now, when you look through the scriptures, you will see that the greatest times of revival, the greatest times of outpouring of the Spirit, were in the, were in the places where it says that they were all together in one accord. Now, the reason I want to dismantle some of the things that we talk about, like when we say, well, that's a spirit-filled church, and well, that one's not spirit-filled. The reason I want to get rid of that kind of phraseology is because it doesn't help bring us into unity. And what's my end game? Unity, because God pours out his spirit on a place that's unified. And when that happens, people come into the kingdom, all right? Uh, Ephesians 4, the equipping of the saints is for the work of ministry until we all attain the unity of the faith and to the fullness and measure and mature man of the fullness and measure of Jesus Christ himself. What's the end game? The church is more unified. Would you say today the church is more unified than it was at Pentecost, at the creation of the church? Probably not, Right? And it's probably because we have doctrines like, well, that's a spirit-filled church, and oh, they're the not spirit-filled people, right? And what we've done, and this is, we've all been taught this, what we've done is uh, uh, unintentionally created two classes of Christians, sort of the haves and the have-nots. And I want to get rid of that dividing line. 
okay? It is not a good one. It's not a biblical one. It's not a healthy one for the church. Um, And then while I dismantle that, I want to give you a vision for something greater. So uh, I had the privilege uh, of going to India um, right after I preached two weeks ago, and I was there for just under a week. Uh, And I will tell you, I went to the Upper Room Delhi, where Joshua David is overseeing that community, and I was blown away by the work that Joshua David is doing. So he is, uh, he's going into, right now, it, it, was, it was just kind of crazy. Like, we, we didn't have any free time. We were going from house to house to house, talking about Jesus, praying for people, and then we would have meetings where I did some equipping and training in the gifts. Um, but what, what startled me was that uh, the time before when I went to India, we went to the least of these. This time, we went to some of the high-caste uh, Hindus, and we were in their homes telling them about Jesus. Um, and it was just r- remarkable. And you go into these places, and they te- they, because I'm like a, a white Christian minister from this, the States, they treat me like I'm the, the guru for the Christian church. And, I mean, quite literally, they treat me like I'm a guru. So they would like constantly try to you know, give me food and even try to give me money at the end of it. And I'm like, I can't accept your money. This is not the way Jesus does things. I mean, it was like that. They, they, treat, uh, they treat you like a guru. So Jesus is, to them, just sort of uh, a foreign god, uh, one god amongst many, uh, and that if you need healing, that's the god you go to. And you go to other gods for other different things. And so I was there bringing a message that, that was probably illegal for me to give. Um, now, we, we talked about how being filled with the Spirit is a temporary, repeatable empowerment to give prophetic declaration to Jesus in the face of a hostile audience. And I would tell you that on this trip, it, it was just crazy coincidence how here I am preaching this message two weeks ago. I leave and I go to a place where I'm actually in the face on a, on a little bit of a, in face of a hostile audience and I experience exactly what we've been talking about. Um, on two occasions on this trip, this happens to me. And... Uh, now, I remember talking to Joshua David, and he was telling me, you know, Joshua David is the leader of the Upper Room Deli, uh, phenomenal evangelist. This guy, I mean, he preaches in front of thousands and thousands of people, but he has sort of stepped away from that ministry in a full capacity to pastor an Upper Room in Delhi. So a place of presence, a place of encounter. Um, and, but, but the thing is, he didn't start off with people who are believers. Everybody who's a part of Upper Room Delhi, uh, for the most part, were not believers. They were Hindus. And so Joshua is sort of discipling unbelievers and slowly walking them towards the truth about Jesus. Um, So he tells me before I go into some of these meetings, hey, just so you know, it's illegal uh, in India to have people to, to, to try to baptize people out here. It's illegal in India to tell them they need to walk away from their other gods and embrace Jesus alone. It's illegal to do these things. Um, so that's what we're going to be doing uh, in your time here. <laughs> and, and I got to, I, during one of those, uh, one of the e- meetings, well, several meetings, I, I would tell them, like, I, I, it was like, you know, when are the times when you have the hardest time being articulate? How many of you, you do not like public speaking? Anybody in the room? Okay, when you are given a microphone and you're asked to, to speak to an audience of people, like a big audience, how do you feel, those of you who do not like public speaking? Would you say that your words come easily at those times? No, it's the hardest time to speak is when you're intimidated and scared. 
How many of you have had a, a nightmare where you woke up and you were just paralyzed by fear? Anybody? Okay, almost most of us have experienced this at one point in our life. What's the thing you weren't able to do? You weren't able to talk, right? Jesus would tell the disciples, uh, hey, this is going to happen to you. They're going to bring you in fr- up in front of the Sanhedrin. They're going to hand you over to be persecuted, some of you to be killed. I don't want you to prepare beforehand what you're going to say. For the Holy Spirit will give you at that time the words that you need. When do you need the Holy Spirit to give you words? When you're terrified and paralyzed by fear. This is when you will be filled with the Spirit. Okay? Um, Notice here that, and well, we'll we'll dive into the scriptures in a little bit. Here I am, I've just been told that it's illegal to do what I'm about to do. So I'm a little bit nervous. Next thing I know, I'm, I'm given words that I didn't have prior. And I start talking about Jeremiah 3, how, um, how Israel was, was basically like a, a wife to God who had been cheating on God constantly. And God was, was having to consider whether he was going to divorce Israel. I said, this is what it's like here in India. You, you've been cheating on the one true God with all of your idols and you're breaking Jesus' heart, and he wants you to be faithful to him alone. Now, can you see how that's exactly what they need to hear? I didn't have those words before I showed up. The Holy Spirit gave me at that time what I needed to say, and he gave me boldness and courage to do it when I would have been terrified to do that very thing. Um, It didn't help that Joshua was telling me about somebody who had been killed recently for, for sharing the gospel. I was like, Thanks, Joshua. I'd really appreciate that. Um, I mean, for him, it's just like, he's just a fearless, crazy man. Granted, the guy's literally seen the Lord, so that makes sense that he has that kind of uh, courage. Um, tell you what, go to Acts chapter 2. Let's, let's dive into some scriptures here. Now, I, I've, I've often, like, I'm trying to think through a few reasons. Why, why is it that we feel like in the, the, the filling of the Spirit is this thing that happens to you when some special anointed man of God lays hands on you and then suddenly you get it, right? That's, that's typically what most people think. Where do we get these ideas of filling of the Spirit or the definitions? Um, I, I came up with the three reasons. Um, here's why I think there's a lot of confusion over this term. Uh, when we read about it in the book of Acts, specifically in Acts chapter 2, Uh, There are several things that are happening all at once. And what we tend to do is confuse the terms that are all happening right here in Acts chapter 2. So you're going to find in Acts chapter 2, they're going to be baptized with the Spirit. That doesn't mean the same thing as filled with the Spirit. They're going to have a wind that's supernatural, that's so loud that it attracts people from all over Jerusalem. They're going to have a flame of fire descend upon them. So when, when uh, Jesus talks about, or John the Baptist talks about how there's one who's coming after me, he's going to baptize you with spirit and with fire. You see this, the spirit, and ba- spirit baptism and fire baptism having at the same time. And we're also told in the same passage that they were filled with the spirit. We're also told in the same passage that they were given a gift of tongues. Um, and we're also told in the same passage that people from all over understood what those tongues were. 
This is why it's confusing, because at Acts chapter 2, at Pentecost, so many things are happening all at once. And when that happens, we tend to confuse the terms. Now, do you want to build a theology off of something that happens once in Scripture? Or do you want to build a theology off of something that happens several times in Scripture? Or should we think that just because they, they were filled with the Spirit in this instance and they spoke with tongues, that we should then define filling with the Spirit with tongues, even though it's the only time you see the word filled with the Spirit and a gift of tongues happening simultaneously? Throughout the rest of the book of Acts, you will not see the words filled with the Spirit and the gift of tongues in the same story. Did you know that? This is the only occasion where it happens. Um, and you do not want to build a theology off of something that only happens once and then you never see it happen again in the same way. I mean, do we do this with our own experiences? For instance, I was saved at 15. I became a Christian at 15. Should I assume that everybody should be saved at 15 because that was my experience? No, we wouldn't do that, would we? Um, okay, let me stick to my notes because I'm kind of losing myself here. Uh, Okay, the other, the other reason I can think of is, um, another reason we get confused about these terms is because people are having real encounters with God, and they're usually defining those encounters by what they've been told, not through careful study of Scripture. And I want us to be incredibly biblical, li biblically literate. I want us to know and point to where in Scripture exactly what that means and what happened to me. Um, the third reason I can think of is that everybody's been looking throughout, for throughout all history for the secret to the happy Christian life. And I'm here to tell you that there's not a big secret to the happy Christian life. Uh, no one's going to lay hands on you and suddenly you're going to be the happiest person in the world the rest of your life. It doesn't work that way. Okay? The, the secret to the ha happy Christian life, if there is one, is you have a relationship with Jesus. But that doesn't, that doesn't suddenly mean that you're going to be living a problem-free life. If anything, a relationship with Jesus is going to bring you into problems, like facing hostile audiences that might take your life. Like one promise in Scripture that everybody fails to acknowledge. How many of you love the promises of Scripture? Everybody love the promises of God? Come on. Come on. Where are my Pentecostal brothers? You love the promises of God. Here's one promise no one, every preacher fails to mention. In this life, you will have trials. It's a promise. Um, there, there just isn't, there isn't a cure-all the, the, for happiness and the, the secret, some sort of secret thing. And it's like we're, we're all, we've been taught this thing. If you just have this experience, then you'll get it, whatever it is. It doesn't work that way. All right, so let's go to Acts chapter 2. It says, now, when, they, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Now, now, just for the record, Jesus tells them, go and wait in Jerusalem. Wait, and you will be baptized with power. You're baptized with the Spirit and empowered to be my witness throughout all the earth. So that's why they're here. That's why they're gathering. They've been meeting in one place, praying daily since the day that Jesus told them to go and wait in Jerusalem. Now, what happens in a place of prayer? They're all together in one accord. You're going to see this over and over throughout the book of Acts, that when people pray together, when they worship together, their hearts are knit and unified together, and God pours out power. Here we go. 
It says, they'd all been, uh, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a violent wind blowing came from heaven, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And tongues spread out like a fire, appearing to them and came to rest on each one of them. Remember I said all of these things are happening simultaneously? That doesn't mean all of these things will happen again simultaneously. For instance, do you ever see the wind come again in the book of Acts? Doesn't happen again, does it? What about the, the, the flames of fire descending on each of the disciples? Does that happen again in the book of Acts? Doesn't happen. It says, it came to rest on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began speaking in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven residing in Jerusalem. When this sound occurred, a crowd gathered and was in confusion because each one of them, uh, each one heard them speaking in his own language. Now, check this out. The last time you see languages like this uh, or the scriptures be this intentional about talking about languages, is that a place where God would separate mankind. Now we see God bringing mankind together. I gave a sermon on this like five, six weeks ago, if you recall. So again, what's happening? First, it says in, in, in the Tower of Babel, Acts chapter 11, it says, look, they're all together in one, court, one accord. Nothing would be impossible for them, Right? So he separates them because he didn't want evil that they were uh, con- uh, carrying out to continue. Now, though, we see the exact opposite. Now they're together in one accord, and instead of separating them, he crosses their languages. He overcomes language that, that, that's a barrier between different peoples, and he brings them together. The baptism spirit does one thing. It unites and knits all of mankind. That's what that spirit baptism is. So he's, he's now doing away with, with the language barriers, giving them new languages. And what, is, what happens when they're filled with the spirit? What kind of things are they talking about? The mighty deeds of God. Remember I said the filling of the spirit is a temporary, repeatable empowerment where you speak about the acts of God. You get prophetic te- declaration to Jesus. Who are they speaking to? The very people that just crucified the Christ. So here we are. This is, um, hold on, let me get back. Right here in this place, we're going to see something really cool happen. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, is addressing an audience that's come from all over because they've heard the wind. They're hearing people speak in their language. They're from all over the world. Now, most of these people don't speak Hebrew. You've got people from Syria. You've got people from Egypt. They're all hearing these languages, and they're hearing about the mighty deeds of God. And in the midst of this, uh, the foremost apostle is going to stand up and, and give a declaration. Now, what happened the last time Peter faced a hostile audience? Think about it. When was the last time Peter faced a hostile audience? What did he do? In fear, he denied the Lord. Now he's facing a hostile audience. What does he do? He gets up and he declares this prophetic declaration about Jesus. Can you think of any sermon throughout history, anywhere else in the Old Testament, New Testament, where where 
a person would take these three passages together and put them in one message. Peter's going to quote from, let me just figure this out real quick, hold on. He's going to quote from, I think it's a psalm, it's going to be Joel 2, uh, which psalm is it, let me find it. Uh, All right, three passages of scripture, I can't find all the passages. I thought I had this in my notes, I don't see it. Oh, Psalm 16 and Psalm 110 and Joel chapter 2. He takes three passages of scripture that have never been linked together and he gives this crazy prophetic sermon. And he's even calling out the guys who crucified the Christ. The last time Peter faced an audience like this, he lied and he ran and he denied the Christ. Now he's filled with the spirit and what does he do? Gives this crazy prophetic declaration about Jesus. It says many people believe that day. Um, We're going to see it happen again. If you go over to Acts chapter 4, skip there with me real quick. Now, just a little backdrop. In Acts chapter 3, Peter sees a guy healed. He was paralyzed, he used to beg for money, and now he's been healed from his paralyzation. And people, I think something like three to 5,000 come to know Jesus in one day. Uh, Now, the religious leaders of the day start freaking out because people are beginning to believe in the Christ. So here's where the story picks up. It says, while Peter and John were speaking to the people, the priest and the commander of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them. They were angry because they were teaching the people and announcing in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So so they seized them and put them in jail until the next day. Now think about this for a second. Who is he in front of? The religious leaders, okay? Is this audience hostile? Why is it that they're, they're, they're mentioning specifically the fact that, that Peter and, the, and John were preaching about resurrection from the dead through belief in Jesus? Well, one of the groups there is the Sadducees. Did you know that they did not believe that there would be a resurrection? Here's a couple of things that the Sadducees were angry about. Um, they claimed there was no resurrection. They claimed there was no, no angels, no spirit, um, they also believe that in only the authority of the Torah, uh, not the books that we all know as the New Old Testament or the Apocrypha. So here, Peter and John are preaching the very thing that the Sadducees would be upset about. So they lock them up in jail. And as we pick up in verse 4. It says, But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. So that's how many people came to believe after that one man was healed. It says, on the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem, and Annas the high priest was there, and so was Caiaphas, and John and Alexander, and all who were of high priestly descent. When they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, by what power or in what name have you done this? Now, 5,000 come to believe in Jesus because of one miracle. I just, I think about like what this would look like today in Frisco. How many of you would like to see 5,000 because of one miracle? You know the reason I I got into um, the gifts of the Spirit was because I used to do Young Life for uh, a school called Bryan High School where 3,000 people went to school. Now, a large majority of them were not believers in Jesus, and I kept thinking to myself, all that has to happen is one miracle, and that entire school could be flipped upside down. 
5,000 one day. Now, they're, they're sitting here trying to figure out, okay, what power allowed you to do, to do this miracle? Same thing happens with Jesus, right? The blind guy in John chapter 9, he's healed. And now all the Pharisees are upset about this healing. And they're saying, uh, who healed you? And he's like, Jesus. And they're like, well, we know that he's a sinner. And he's like, well, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. All I know is that I was blind and now I can see. It's like he doesn't entertain the argument. But that's what happens. The religious leaders always want to, to deny the power of Christ. So the, <clears throat> they also do this to Jesus. They accuse that he does these works by the power of the devil. We see the same thing happening today. I remember the first time I, I uh, had ever been taught about the gift of tongues. I was taught that if someone's speaking in tongues, it's got to be done by the devil. Isn't that interesting? Acts chapter 4, verse 8. Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Second time we see this happening with Peter. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today, remember the very prophecy Jesus said, they're going to bring you up in front of the courts. Where are they right now? If we are on trial today for a benefit being done to a sick man, as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and all the people of Israel. you got to love the courage and boldness that comes over him. That by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands before you in good health. He is the stone which the builders rejected, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Do you realize how controversial this message is? Do you realize that you, you can't preach this message in most of the world today? The same message that has Peter in prison right now, or in, in this story, that message is being contested, not just by the world, but also by the church. There is salvation in no one else. That word right there, salvation in no one else, that is not a friendly message. And he's preaching it to the ones who just killed the Savior. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated, untrained men, they were amazed, and they began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Man, wouldn't that be amazing if the world could recognize us as having been with Jesus? We, we gather in this place several times a week to be with Jesus, to minister to Jesus. What if the world took note of us having been with Jesus. Second time we've seen this happen, again, he pulls out a scripture that no one had ever used before and he applied it to the Pharisees. How did he know that Jesus was the cornerstone? How did he know that he was the stone which the builders themselves, the Israelites, had rejected? How did he know this? Because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gave him at that time what he needed to say. This is what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. How many of you would like to be filled with the Spirit? Okay, I've got news for you. 
more than likely, it's not going to happen by some preacher laying his hands on you. More than likely, it's going to mean you being bold about your faith and facing audiences that are sometimes hostile, but either way, you stand in front of people and you present the gospel. You want to be filled with the Spirit? It happens when you're evangelizing. That's almost a dirty word in the church today. I mean, most of us, when we think about evangelism, we're like, ugh, Listen, I was, I was on my way to uh, India. So on the ride there, I, I stop in uh, Zurich, Switzerland for a layover. And I go into Zurich, and I spend uh, some time in there and then I, where they lost my luggage, and I had to buy some new clothes, which will be on their bill. They're going to pay for that. Thank you, Jesus, for new clothes. Uh, on the airport ride from Zurich back to the airport to, to make the rest of my trek to India, I'm in the car with uh, my Uber driver. And the Uber driver's asking me why I'm going to, where I'm going. I'm like, I'm going to India. He's like, what are you doing there? He's like, is it work or, or pleasure? I was like, well, it's, it's more like work. He's like, really, what do you do? And I was like, well, I'm a public speaker. Now, I'm trying to, it's like I'm doing everything I can to, to avoid whatever conversation might make things awkward for me. Uh, you know, if I, if I want to shut down the conversation entirely, I just say I'm a preacher. Uh, but if, you know, I want to keep conversation going and, and without it getting too awkward, I say, oh, I do public speaking. He's like, well, what do you speak about? I'm like, man, come on. I said, well, uh, I talk about Jesus and how he heals people through power and miracles. He goes, really? You must tell me about this. I said, where are you from? He goes, uh, I'm from Kenya. I go, what faith are you? He goes, I'm a Muslim. And I'm thinking, man, I feel like I'm being caught in a trap here. <laughs> like, he's the one driving this car, right? You know, and I'm like, ah, oh, okay. And so, I, 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 again, in this moment, I'm telling you, boldness comes over me. And I begin to tell this guy about Jesus. And then, I, I'm not kidding you, I, I begin to tell him about his children. Now, he told me he had five kids. I said, the second one you have is a daughter. I said, she has dreams every night, some that terrify her and some that she doesn't understand. He's like, yeah, this happens. And I said, you have a fourth one who's been, uh, a fourth child, a boy. He's been sick. God wants to heal him. I said, get him on the phone. Next thing I know, he's, we pray for him over the phone. Again, this is on in the Uber on the way to the airport. Now, now this is all happening, and he's begging me, can we please stop and talk? He goes, what time is your flight? I said, it's at this time. Uh, he's like, I'm supposed to be there two hours before. And he's like, you don't need to be there two hours before. And you, you have plenty of time. Can we please, can we sit and talk? So I'm not kidding. We leave. We go into the airport. We leave the airport. And we pull into a coffee, like a little gas station, to get coffee so I can tell him more about Jesus. Um, now, he hasn't given his life to the Lord yet, but we exchange information, and we're going to begin to have more conversations. I'm telling you, I didn't plan for this. I didn't tarry in my prayer closet for four weeks before I left. It, it, was, like, it was like Jesus forced me into this. He set me up. But I'm telling you, it's in, it's in that place where you're sharing the gospel where suddenly you're filled with power and you can give prophetic words that, that testify to Jesus. How many of you want to experience that kind of power? 
Guess where it happens? You show up to work. You begin to tell people about Jesus. You get an Uber ride, and you tell your Muslim Uber driver about Jesus. That's when it happens. All right. Let me go down to the next passage. Okay, we're going to pick up verse 15 through 18. We're going to keep reading. It says, Now when they had ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. But so that it will not spread any further amongst the people, let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. I'm telling you, we are continuing to experience a bottlenecking of the gospel just like they did. Where to speak the name of Jesus is getting more and more offensive. So I'm, look, what I'm doing for you right now is I'm preparing you for this. Don't plan beforehand what you're going to say. For the Holy Spirit will give you at that time what you need. I love this. The, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they could not deny that a miracle had taken place. So they call a meeting together. Isn't that what religious leaders always do? They're like, we've got to call a meeting together. It's like the miracle that just took place is not registering in their heads. And they care more about their reputation, their control, than they do about the fact that God had just invaded in their midst. It's like the spirit of stupid is on these people. Their decisions aren't made with God in mind. Their decisions are made like how can they control the power they have? Listen, if you find yourself trying to control the power you have, you do not want that power. That's not a good place. I remember I I was doing Young Life and I started getting into trouble because uh, we were seeing stuff happen. Power was happening. I had kids start speaking in tongues, and my, my, my boss was like, no, 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 we're not having that. And so I was instructed at that time, hey, you're not allowed to talk about this anymore. I said, okay, I'll do my best. I'll keep my job, right? So next thing I know, I've got this kid who's telling me, um, I feel like God has abandoned me. I'm at Young Life Camp. I've got, um, his name's Lucas. And he's telling me that ever since his grandfather passed away, his grandfather was the one who would take him to church. And when his grandfather died, he felt like God had abandoned him. And I said, Lucas, I don't, I don't know why you feel this way. I mean, I understand it. I get it. Have you ever told God this? He said, no. I've been too afraid. And this is most people. They think that if they tell God how they really feel, God's going to strike them down. That's not God. God didn't come to kill. He came to save, Right? I said, you need to tell God how you feel. So he does. We pray together. And then I just say, God, would you let him know that you're here? Next day he comes to me. Do you know what he says to me? He says, when you prayed for me, I left my body. And he begins to tell me how he went into a trance where he could see he was, he was standing suddenly in, in a, pair, a, a pair of hands. And these hands were holding him up, and he was looking up, and he could see this person. Just the face, and he was huge. And he said, ever since then, I've been hearing this language in my head, and I don't know what it means. And I'm thinking, 
Oh no, it happened to another one. I said, well, sometimes God will give you words to pray and you just pray them silently when you're by yourself. I didn't make it in that career. You see, when you're facing a hostile audience, power is available. It's like you're trying as best as you can to be obedient, but guess what happens? God shows up. Acts chapter 4, verse 19. We're going to skip down there. Here we go. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. You notice Peter isn't shrinking back anymore. You be the judge, for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. God, I wish that that was the church. I wish that that was me. I wish that I just was so excited about Jesus and what he's done that I just couldn't stop speaking about it. Jesus. Just put your hands out. If this is you, just put your hands out. Jesus. We, we want that, where we just, we can't stop talking about what you've done, to where it just, it's invaded every part of us. We just have to talk about it. Give us that kind of zeal. Give us that kind of hunger. We want, we want that to be us. We want it to be like Peter and John, where we can't stop talking about you. Lord, I remember, I remember that, that, that first encounter I had with you, where after that I just couldn't stop telling people about what you'd done to me. I want that hunger again. Would you give that to us, Lord? Fill us with courage, with boldness to talk about you. Fill us with zeal. That's such a convicting passage to me. As I know that's not me. Like I know I'm not hungry to talk about them all the time. I don't even know where I am now. We cannot stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. And when they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which to punish them and on account of the people. Who were they afraid of? Because they were all glorifying God for what had happened, for the man was more than 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. When they had been released, they went on their own, they went out to their own companions and reported all that the chief priest and the elders had done and said to them, man, that would be awesome. Can you imagine coming back to community and you're reporting about everything you just experienced? You've been in your workplace. You lost your job because you were telling people about Jesus, but you saw salvations and miracles. That's so cool. It says, um, and when they had heard this, they lifted their voices to God in one accord, unity. They said, O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David, your servant, you said, why did the Gentiles rage and the people devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod 
and uh, Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose had predestined to occur. Now, Lord, take note of their threats. Grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence. While you extend your hands to heal, then signs and wonders take place through the name of your servant Jesus. And when they prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And guess what they did? They began to speak the word of God with boldness. Declaration about Jesus. That's what the filling of the Holy Spirit is for. Notice in here, no tongues, no one laid hands on them. What did they do? They prayed for boldness to preach the word. And so God honored that prayer by shaking the room. An earthquake struck the room. Do you know this has happened throughout history? Where people were gathered together in one place and they were praying and suddenly the room began to shake and they're filled with the Spirit and they start giving prophetic declarations. Um, I got two examples in history I want to just read real quick. One of them was Charles Finney. How many of you have heard of Charles Finney? One of the coolest revivalists. This, this came from Christianity Today. It was an article written. It says, after his conversion, Finney prepared for ministry in Presbyterian Church, uh, and he was ordained in 1824. He was hired by, a female missionary, by the Female Missionary Society of the Western District. He began his missionary labors in the frontier communities of Upper New York. A rigid Calvinism dominated the theological landscape, but Finney urged his listeners to accept Christ openly and publicly. His style differed too. His messages were more like a lawyer's argument than a pastor's sermon. He was troubled that the congregations continuously said they were pleased with his sermons. He was troubled that they were pleased with his sermons. Come on, that's cool. You know I'm on to something when I start getting flack about people being pleased with my sermons. <laughs> like I'm, I, Something's got to change, right? He set about to make his message less pleasing and more productive. At the end of his sermon, which stressed the need for conversion, he took a bold step. It says, you who have made up your minds to become Christians, will you pledge your allegiance and make your peace with God immediately? Rise up. The entire congregation, having never heard such a challenge, remained in their seats. So he says, you have taken your stand, he said. You have rejected Christ and his gospel. The congregation was dismissed. Many left angry. The next evening, Finney preached on wickedness. His voice was like a hammer. It was like fire and like a sword. He offered no chance to respond. The next night, the entire town turned out including a man so angry with Finney that he brought a gun and intended to kill the evangelist. So no conversions up to this point. Now suddenly there's someone there to kill him. But that night, Finney again offered a con the congregants a chance to publicly declare their faith. The church erupted. Dozens stood up to give their pledge while others fell down, groaned, and bellowed. The evangelist continued to speak for several nights visiting new converts at their homes and on the streets. That's cool. When did the power show up? When the hostile audience came. 
Then people fell to the ground and bellowed. Um, in uh, the early 1400s during the Reformation, when it skept, swept through Scotland, there was a series of miraculous events that started to take place and persecution. There was a book written by a guy named John Howey in 1781, uh, and he, he gives a, it's called The, the Scots Worthies. Great book. You can get it for free on Kindle or Amazon now. Um, I actually got a, an original print of this that was given to me as a gift. And I, I remember I, I used to read through the biographies of all of these guys. They were called the Scots Worthies because these were the guys that reformed all of Scotland. So one guy, and this, this comes from this book. It's a guy named George Weishart. It says, having mounted a scaffold prepared on purpose, he turned towards the people and declared that he felt much joy within himself in offering up his life for the name of Christ. You see, they'd finally captured this prophet, and they brought him to the scaffold to be burned alive. So here he is, and he's at the stake about to be burned, and this had much joy filled his heart. He said, he told them not to be offended with the good word of God because of the afflictions I have endured or the torments which you now see prepared for me. I beg you that you love the word of God for your salvation. You suffer patiently. Gosh, I can't get through this. And with a comfortable heart for the word's sake, which is your everlasting comfort, but for the true gospel which was given me by the grace of God, I suffer this day with a glad heart. I just love this. Like he's thinking of the people that are watching this happen. <laughs> Thanks, bro. Why? <laughs> uh, gonna do this. Yep, that's me. I care about this, man. I do. Like I care about this message. Um, but for the true gospel which is given me by the grace of God, I suffer this day with a glad heart. Behold, consider my, how I look. You shall not see me change. I fear not this fire. I pray that you may not fear them that slay the body but have no power to slay the soul. Some have said that I taught that the soul shall sleep till the last day, but I know surely, and my faith is such, that my soul shall sup with my Savior this night. Then he prepared for his accusers that they might be, for, be forgiven. If through ignorance or evil design that they, they had forged lies upon him, after this the executioner asked forgiveness. To whom he replied, come hither. Come hither to me. And when the head came, he kissed his cheek. And he said, here is a token that I have forgiven you. Do thine office do your job and burn me. Being raised up from his knees, said there, he was bound to the stake, crying with a loud voice, O Savior of the world, have mercy on me. Father of heaven, I commend my spirit into thy holy hands. Whereupon the executioner kindled the fire. The powder that was fastened to his body blew up. The captain of the castle, perceiving that he was still alive, drew near. This is the guy, the captain, who was having him be burned. 
says, the flame has scorched, this is Weishart now speaking, he says, the flame which has scorched my body, yet it has not daunted my spirit. He's literally being burned when he says these words. He says, but he who from yonder place beholdeth us with such pride, this is the man executing himself, executing him. He shall within a few days lie in the same as ignominiously as he is now seen proudly to rest himself. As he was thus speaking, the executioner drew the cord that was about his neck, so straight that he spoke no more. And thus, like another Elijah, he took his flight by a fiery chariot into heaven, and he obtained the martyr's crown on the 1st of March, 1546. The man who was watching from the window of the castle, watching me and burned, he said, that man, the one who's watching me die, will die likewise. And a few days later, that man was killed. Prophetic declaration when his body is literally being burned. Do you know what happened throughout Scotland? He spoke a prophetic word. It testified to Jesus, and many people after his death came to Christ. Um, you're going to see this filling of the Spirit happen again. One that I, 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 there's more in here, tons more in the book of Acts, but I don't want you to miss, what, miss this. Um, oh, I don't have it on me. Let me see if I can find it. Well, I'll just tell you about it. I'm running out of time anyways. Um, you're going to see one of Jesus' disciples says that he is, that's all right, don't worry. Uh, one of Jesus' disciples, I think it's, is it Philip? I'm drawing a blank here. He's brought in front of Saul. Saul has gathered Christians out of their homes for preaching the gospel. And now um, he's, about to, he's about to be stoned to death. But here's what happens. I'm gonna, I have to find this for you. I can't just tell you this. Uh, it's Stephen, I'm sorry. Go to, go to Acts chapter 7. We're actually starting Acts chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 8. I'm going to read a lot of scripture here, but it's, it's a great story. It says, now Stephen, this is Acts chapter 6, verse 8. Now Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and miraculous signs amongst the people. Now, did you know that, that Stephen was one of the first deacons? That his first assignment in the church, his first empowerment, was to serve a bunch of angry people dinner. That's his first assignment. Now you read what happens to him later. And see, the kingdom is upside down. Promotion happens through service. Stephen, full of grace and power, performing great wonders and miraculous signs amongst the people. Some men from the synagogue of the freedmen, it was called, both Syrians and Alexandrians, as well as some from Cilicia and the province of Asia, stood up and argued with Stephen. Yet they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit with which he spoke. How was he able to speak this way? 
Yet they were all not able to resist the wisdom which the spirit with which he spoke. They secretly instigated some men to say, we have heard this man speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God. They incited the people and the elders and the experts in the law. They brought him before the council. Don't prepare beforehand. They brought forward false witnesses who said, this man does not stop saying things against the holy place and the law, for we have heard him saying that Jesus the Nazarene will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses handed down to us. All were sitting in the council, looking intently at Stephen, and they saw his face was like an angel. When the high priest said, are these things true? He replied, brothers and fathers, listen to me. And the God of glory appeared to our fort. He, I mean, he, he starts giving this message. Do you see this? It's like, how does he do this? His life is on the line. He's just been, I mean, person after person has accused him and brought up lies against him. Skip down. We're going to go to verse 51 from chapter 7. I love this, this boldness. This is just crazy. You stubborn people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you're always resisting the Holy Spirit like your ancestors did. Which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? They killed those who foretold long ago the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You received the law by decrees given by angels, but you did not obey it. When they heard these things, they became furious and ground, ground their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a different phrase than filled, but it means the same thing. It's just a different tense. Exact same term, though. Full of the Holy Spirit, looked intently towards heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Do you know that um, when Jesus died on the cross, we're told that his work was finished. It is finished. The telestai, it is finished. After that, he gets raised from the dead. He ascends to heaven, and he takes a seat on the throne. His work was done. Psalm 103, uh, or no, so, sorry, Psalm 110 says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool under your feet. Jesus got to sit at the right hand of the Father because his work was done. But you see that when Stephen is, gosh, it's this microphone. <laughs> when you see that, that Stephen is about to be welcomed into heaven, Jesus gets up. His work is done. He doesn't have to stand ever again. And he stands up to welcome his son. Because in the face of a hostile audience, he wouldn't be alone. He gets to actually see the Lord as he's about to be killed. can't finish this. I'm sorry. Um, Justin Martyr, an early church father, said that the, um, 
the blood of the saints is the seed of the church. The blood of the martyrs is what plants seed for people to come into the faith. Do you know what would be birthed that day that Stephen died? What seed was planted? God's going to take one of the enemy's greatest weapons away from him. And that weapon was named Saul, who would be renamed when he comes into the kingdom because he's now under the authority of Jesus. And Paul the apostle would become the foremost enemy of the kingdom of Satan. And he would begin to convert people from not just Jerusalem and not just the Jews, but from all over the world. If you're in this room and you're not Jewish, you're the fruit of the Apostle Paul. His legacy lives on in you in this place. I'm telling you, um, there's another uh, great missionary, a guy named Jim Elliott. It said, as a man is no fool who hopes to give away what he has no hope of keeping in order to gain what he cannot lose. And he gave his life and he died a martyr's death to the Aka Indians. And when he died, the Indians had, an, uh, the Aka Indians in South America, a tribe in Ecuador, they saw a vision of these golden angels and the entire tribe, the most violent tribe of Indians, the most violent tribe of Indians, the entire tribe came to Jesus. When Jim, who had been killed by them, his wife decides to go back and share the gospel to the very people who killed her husband. Gosh, this message is messing me up. You want to be filled with the Spirit? How many of you want to be filled with the Spirit? Go and share your faith. Come here, pray with us on Tuesdays, Thursdays, Saturdays. Go into Dallas. That's usually the prayer sets I go to are in Dallas because it's not in the evenings. <laughs> but come and pray. Pray for, for boldness to preach his word. And then get out there and begin to share about the works of Jesus. And watch what happens. Watch how God empowers you like you've never experienced. Look, miracle working is not for the special guy with the microphone. It's not. Most of the miracles that you read about in this, in this book, they happen outside of the church, not inside. All right. You want boldness? Let's pray. Let's pray just like the apostles did. After Peter had been released, Peter and John get released from prison. They all gathered together in one place in one accord, and they prayed for God to extend his hand to perform signs and wonders and to give them boldness to preach the word. How many of you want that?